Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so I opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are on that. We're trying hard to make it true, but it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. Just a few seconds to go. The referee has a check on the watch. He's called time. Cork are the All Ireland champions. So the 1990 All-Ireland Hurling Final, Brian, is one of the greatest games I've ever seen. And that's in any era or uh, with any analysis. It was absolutely fantastic. So I would go so far as to say Cork kind of robbed Galway, but like goals win games. So they didn't really rob them. (laughs) We'll get to analysis. That was fantastic analysis. We'll get to more analysis afterwards. But I suppose, yeah. Jer Canning saying uh, Cork were no hopers on the onset of the Munster campaign. Yeah, because look, Tipperary were so dominant at that time. You know, they they were after hitting their their goal and patch and had won three in a row in Munster. And you know, Cork had what turns out in hindsight a lovely mix of of probably older players and a, and a few younger players breaking onto the scene. Um, so and they seem to be in a little bit disarray. But you know, the, the Munster final was an absolute thriller and. The difference that day was Mark Foley. Uh, you know, he got two seven from playing that in that Munster final, and he was just yeah. unmarkable. You know, so that Tipperary Cork Munster final was a classic, and it took a classic performance for for um, Cork to get over the line that day. So you can you can kind of see what Joe Canning was talking about. Yeah, and like I mean, that was the famous Munster final where Bab said that the donkeys don't win derbies. So like, yeah, I mean, exactly, and that added spice to it then as well, obviously, and it was in Turles and. It was just, it was just an unbelievable game, and you know, Cork came good when just when they needed it, and I suppose they did the same in the All Ireland. 
did the same in the All Ireland. Jim Carney was in the dressing room after the match. I don't know, did you watch the whole broadcast after the 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 match? But it was great because it went on for another twenty minutes, and I, I was just thinking, like, I mean, this is fantastic. Like, RT should be playing these matches in their entirety. I think, like, I mean, the intros, the analysis at halftime, the post-match analysis, because there's great nostalgia even in the analysis. Do you know what I mean? Not just the match or be interesting even what they were focusing on, what they were talking on. But Jim Carney had access all areas anyways. He was in the dressing room um, after the match and he was talking to Kevin Hennessy and he said, um, they said once or twice that maybe you weren't the man that you were. And Kevin Hennessy said they were probably right on previous days. But he says the ball game's down to the bounce of a ball. It bounces for you one day. If you're lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time, I was lucky enough to be in the right place today and that's how, how it works, you know. So, like, I mean, it was funny seeing the interviews from the dressing room and funny seeing him putting it up to Kevin Hennessy saying that uh, people thought you weren't the man that you were. <laughs> yeah, and in fairness, I think you're right. The the thing of it the going into the dressing room afterwards was, was the done thing in the 80s, you know, and it kind of died out in the 90s. And it was a fantastic thing. Like, I look back at the 1981 Ireland. Obviously, that's the one that stands out for me and my dad involved and everything. And I have that coverage as well of where they're in the dressing room afterwards. And it's just special to see everyone, you know, everyone in there, all the players in there, and then a few few lads after blagging their way into the background as well. So, you know, it's great. It's a typical Irish kind of approach, with, but it, it's brilliant footage. And it's great, as you said, it's great nostalgia to be able to go back and look at this. And, you know, you're dead right. Um, even even looking at that, the, the you know, the full, commentary and the analysis at halftime or or at you know after the game it is it's brilliant and Kevin Hennessy like you know he was another one that was coming towards the end of his career probably and you know he he had a fantastic battle with Sean Tracy you know it was real nip and tuck he got a goal obviously after maybe 30 seconds brilliant goal and he did cause you know problems for Sean Tracy but it was one of the real battles of the day I thought yeah, no, it definitely was. And we'll get to we'll get to Kevin Hennessy a little bit more in part two. Cork had a priest managing him. Where where would you see this? Um, Father Michael O'Brien was the Cork manager. Um, Tomas Mulcahy said in a speech he'll be canonised as a saint after this. But Father Michael O'Brien was asked before the Munster final if he thought they could win um, against Tipperary. And he says, as a priest, I have to have faith. <laughs> so even, <laughs> I mean, he's been forced to believe. That's almost like... Uh, you know, but it was—it's unusual to see a manager. I say even in back back in that era, a manager as an or a priest as an intercounty senior manager. Well, would you believe I made my senior debut for Offaly under a priest as well, and that was Father Tom Fogarty from Tipperary. Right. And um, yeah, he was he was our manager for 2002. So I've first-hand experience of that as well. A lovely man, actually. He went on to be president of St. Pat's in Turles. So um, you'd still see him around at, at some of the big hurling games and often meet him in Crow Park and that. So, yeah, it kind of, I suppose, Priest had a, a much more, um, you know, integral part of the community back then as well and and, and led normal lives. And sure, probably the, the last famous priest that played was Father Guy Clark. You know, his Laker Gale was on the other day as well. Um, it's been rerun um, tonight, actually. So, you know, a fantastic hurdler for for Galway in the you know late seventies, early eighties. So, you know, as I said, I suppose it was it was a lot more um, commonplace back then. Yeah, Cyril Farrell was the manager of Galway, of course, and he he kind of 
um, in the late 80s completely, you know, turned them into, into winners. Galloway had won nine All-Ireland titles at every level, minor under 21 and senior before Cyril Farrell and Cyril, or, uh, in total. And Cyril Farrell won six out of those nine. Um, between the three age groups. So, like, I mean, that was in, uh, an incredible record for him. But uh, funnily enough, that 1990 final pretty, pretty much killed Galway off. It did. And uh, look, again, it was it, they were probably coming towards the end of, of what they had. Um, they really left it behind them as well, you know, because they were in such con- con- control for large parts of that game, but their wides obviously killed them. And, um, you know, no lane you seen him shake his head a couple of times. He goal chances. He was a real goal getter. Got a couple of, you know, big goals for Galway down through the years. And um, Brendan Lindsay came on and got a goal. And um, you know, so the yeah, Keedy and Cooney were only twenty five. You know, like, I mean, and Joe Rabbit was on the way. Yeah, I suppose. Like, look, they they did get back to All Ireland in nineteen ninety three. Yeah. Um, the other side of that is they had a much easier chance of getting to All Ireland, but for some reason Galway's perennial failure of of having fantastic teams and having fantastic players but not actually even get into an Ireland finals considering they only had to play one game to actually reach there but yeah. I suppose it goes back to too, though, the whole idea that you know they didn't play till August and, and what did they do from the time the National Hurling League was over yeah. until August and you know that's where Tony Keady got caught you know going off playing in New York and in, in 1989 so or you know so it was, it was a little bit of, of of a hard situation with Galway to manage with and, and I suppose it has to be rectified till, till modern times. Yeah, I would say it was a disadvantage. Like, I mean, I know you say it's an easy route, but like landing in cold in August, you know, having playing a team that's been primed, has the team spirit, has the momentum, has all those things behind them without any game. <laughs> like, you know, you're a sitting duck, really. Like, it, 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 I, t- I would see it more as a disadvantage than people saying, well, they were straight through to a semi-final. Yeah, and I suppose, look, results actually showed that but yeah. um, the, you know the, the the one time that they played in the Munster Championship they had no success whatsoever that was back I think it was in the 50s and then obviously when they came into Leinster it took them a couple of years to actually find their foothold in Leinster and before they won an actual Leinster title um, against Kilkenny so you know but in the long run it has proved better for Galway um, that they have been in that Leinster Championship and get more games yeah I, I tend to agree with you it was it was actually um not really an advantage being straight into Ireland semi-final. As you said, the other teams were battle-hardened and ready and, you know, they knew what they were facing. Um, and, and on the other side of it, whoever faced Antrim, you know, invariably were straight through. They were almost getting a buy into the All-Ireland apart from that famous game in 1989 where they beat Offaly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ger Canning was outraged that some supporters paid £40 on O'Connell Street for a ticket worth £16. Um, so <laughs> so that'll, that'll tell you. Another interesting thing Ger Canning said in the commentary was that Cork managers favoured the Mo Deerock um, approach, the long ball, forcing their opponents to play the game in their half of the field. No great over-elaboration. Galloway's more considered style contains a mixture of Munster directness, Munster directness, you know, and a studied approach where the use of the hand pass combined with forward play and neat interpassing, setting up a colleague for a score. Isn't it incredible when you think of the Munster style now and especially the Cork style? And back then, Munster hurling and Cork hurling were were known for the direct approach. Yeah, and I suppose the contrast to that was that, I suppose, awfully kind of, in the eighties, were were so dominant, and their their game approach was was built around a lot of ground hurling, and you know Kilkenny were able to mix it 
kind of every way that that's they were the masters and, and they've proved that over time they're they're always able to mix it no matter what approach um Galway probably shook things up in in 1986 after losing the Ireland final in 85 to Offaly again in 86 Cyril Farrell came with the with the third midfielder and and um you know it, it caused consternation but it, it wasn't enough to, to beat Cork in that Ireland so Galway showed that they, were, they weren't afraid to, to mix up their styles and I suppose that's what that kind of passage is, is kind of describing there um, and you did see that in the game where they had a lot of direct running I suppose Anthony Cunningham wing forward Martin Nocton and the other they were very direct you know they, they went running with it and then they were looking to offload hand passes but there's times it definitely when the game got into a melting pot Cork in, intercepted a lot of you know those hand passes or, or flicks out and you know just as you said it was the more Dirac they just got the ball and launched it down the field into the danger zone Yeah exactly uh, Brian and we'll leave it there because Tomas Mulcahy captain of the Cork team in 1990 is on the line now Tomas we're talking there about the Cork style um, back then the more Dirac a long direct team which is a bit unusual considering how they play now <laughs> well, I suppose I, I was brought up in that era, um, the same as I suppose the majority of cop players. Yeah, we um, we had some very very stylish hurlers, but we we also had guys with a bit of physical presence and stuff as well. And um, I'd be included in that bracket. And my job, I was told when I was sent a forward, was keep the ball moving as fast as you can to the inside line. You know, don't hold it up, don't stop it. Don't try and stop it off the air. Um, you keep pulling on the ball, whether it's on the ground, left or right, or off the air, and get the ball inside to the inside line. And in the inside line that I played with, this, some famous name was 1990, was no different, you know, um, the likes of John Fitzgibbon and um, you had Kevin Hennessy. And when you have these guys inside there, you just have to get the ball in as quickly as possible and uh, wait for your chance. If it happens to come back out, if you're playing centre forward and if you're in their corner forward, Exactly as I said, you love to see the ball coming in, whether it's high or whether it's low, but as quickly as possible, because I think that's the time that you could you catch defenders maybe a bit off guard. You can be behind them if a ball drops in behind or if you're out in front, you know. And once we were always told you get position, you decide what you want to do with the ball after that. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I mean, you mentioned corner forward and centre forward there, and you played both in this final because you moved out at centre half forward on Tony Keady, who was cleaning up, uh, no disrespect to, to Mark Foley. But, like, I mean, that, that was a turning point in the game because I suppose you gave Keady something to kind of worry about that he probably didn't like. <laughs> well, God rest the man. I mean, he was a fantastic player, you know, and um, yeah. look, we, we kind of, we, we, we became friends uh, after it, to be honest with you, look, and I said, uh, um, particularly, I think that's the beauty of GEA, you know, I mean, you give it as much as you can on the field of play, you don't um, hold back from anything, but look, as soon as the final whistle is gone, I know there's disappointment, and I've had those days myself, but I think there's there's a great uh, tendency within the, the GA uh, in Ireland that you move on and you become great friends with these guys afterwards because you rem- reminisce, you meet, you meet at different functions and you have the bit of crack about it. And look, I mean, I had been on Sheed, or on um, Tony Keady in 1986 in the All-Ireland Final as well in 1986. So there was a bit of rivalry between the two of us. I didn't start them on that day. Uh, I started right kind of forward and didn't have a great 30 odd minutes um, like most of the Cork team and um, yeah was, was brought out to centre forward in the second half and um, yeah things opened up for Cork on, on that day but with so many brilliant performances all over the field 
Yeah, because you scored a brilliant goal in the second half, but you also missed a chance in the second half. And Keedy wasn't shy about letting you know that you'd missed it, let's just say. I don't know what was being said between the two of you. Well, look, I suppose, I, I, I mean, people have always asked me that over the years. And um, um, I think um, he is, um, in, 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 uh, was writing a book about uh, Tony Keedy after he passed away. Um, and he asked me, you know, he said he was going through that final in 1990 and what did really go on. So, I mean, I was up front and look, yeah, we we had words, you know. I think the first time I got the ball when I saw it through, um, I hit the side netting at the roof stage. A lot of people thought it was goal, but it was white ball. And I, I was coming out, and Akiti, obviously, I mean, there was, there was a fair old shoulder given against each other. And yeah. I went up to, to and he kind of said to me, he says, you thought it was um, uh, 1986 all over again, you know. And um, I said, look, we'll wait and see. And obviously then when I got the goal, you know, there was kind of, that was kind of, I, I suppose, look, it was it was a big defining moment in the match from a Cork perspective, all right, you know. But look, I mean, we had we look that's centre forward, centre back. That they're the rivalries, they're the contests that you have. You know, it was hard, it was physical, it was tough. And um, when you get a goal on your on, on your opposition, you know, you 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 do feel overjoyed about it. But look, we just moved on, and people were asking me what did he say to me during the game and stuff like that. And I just said, look, he's asking me, do you want to go for a pint after the match? <laughs> you know, I just I just I just didn't really want to say it to people. Look, it was. You know that he was talking about 1986, and look, that's saw water under the bridge at this stage. God rest the man. Yeah, no, exactly. Look, he was a Rolls Royce of a player. There's no doubt about that. He, he mentioned uh, Tony Keady. Go on. Yeah, Tony Keady was Tony Keady was incredible, right? I mean, like we we had a lot we had a lot of luck in in that match, right? I mean, we got a couple of decisions that went against us. Um, uh, we we had a very high scoring goal team right over that period of time when I played with Cork when I came into it right the, the, the matter was if a guy is in a better position you give him the ball if you don't you're going to get a tongue lashing you're going to get a hiding afterwards right you know and when you had the likes of Jimmy Barry Murphy when I came out of the scene when you had Shawnee O'Leary when you had the likes of Kevin and Hennessy George Fitzgerald uh, John Fitzgibbon and you're going through when there's somebody comes to you it means that there's a man free inside you give him the ball and they did the rest you know and like we scored, I think I don't know. We we were scoring four or five balls a match, and that was that was our savior on the day. The, the All Ireland final that we were able to get goals, you know, and that made a massive, massive difference. And um, like that was that was crucial. But go back to that half back line. Keedy was just an incredible player, left and right. His vision, he's 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 catching a ball off the air. He's striking ability. He's free taking. And then outside them, you know, you had Peter, Peter Finity and you had McInerney with the white boots, you know. So, I mean, there were some half back line and um, it was incredible because, um, like, you, you, it was, they were the, the line that you had to beat if you were going to get success. Like, they were the linchpin for Galway for, for, for that couple of years. They were fantastic. And obviously, we know the Keedy affair as well had a big effect there as well. But they were some half back line. No, well, that was the thing. They were such a dominant half-back line. So Jared Cunningham had an incredible tactic for dealing with them is just to poke it so far that you poked it down over them. Well, you poke it so far, right? And I mean, um, like, Jared Cunningham was the best best man around to put a ball into your paw 10 yards, 15 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards. He, he's, he, his delivery from a pocket was incredible. But on that occasion, we, we put as much pressure as we could on them. And like, get him actually backing back rather than actually going forward, racing onto ball. So the longer he hit it, right, you know, they were probably maybe standing at centre-back or half-back, suddenly the ball is going back over their head and they're backing back 
And it makes it a lot more yeah. difficult for a defender rather than actually attacking the ball. So we put an awful lot of pressure and then we had we had the stature of 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 of, of strength at, at wing forward. We had we had um, Teddy McCarthy, and obviously then we had Tony O'Sullivan as well, who was, we'd always say like, uh, Tony, you wait for the breaks, and we're the guys that were going underneath, and we take the punishment, Tony, you can pick up the ball then and pull over the bar, and that was it, right? You know, I mean, and it was it was just fantastic awareness about the team, about about the team, but I think to the coaching staff as well, Cam O'Brien and Gerald McCarthy, you know, they were adamant. Let's not go short here, you know. And like Galway had a tendency back then as well, maybe bringing out a three-man midfield, you know. And uh, Cunningham never went short for a puck out. He never went to a right corner back who was free or the full back who was free. He always went long and put the pressure on the opposition. And uh, we got many, many goals from that. Yeah, your that goal came. Changed, yeah. changed, changed times now. Yeah, your goal came directly off one of his pokeouts that broke nicely for you, and it was a brilliant finish. And you mentioned um, going for goals because Kevin Hennessy, the two goals he set up in the second half, there was easy points on for him there. Do you know he gave a brilliant ball to Foley for a, a super finish, and then and then the next one he had a point on again, and he held off the hand pass until the very last second. And gave it to Fitzgibbon. Do you know, it was obvious you were trying to put them away with goals. Maybe that's because it worked in '86. Was, was that it? Oh yeah, without a doubt. And um, I suppose, look, with that team that I, that, that I had played back back then with, um, you know, Shawnee Leary uh, in '84, Jimmy Barry Murphy, you know, in 1986, you you had um, massive, massive contribu- contributions with goals as well, and. Uh, 1990, it was no different. But I, I think Kevin Hensey was was a really unsung hero with Cork. He never got the credit he deserved because the amount of goals that guy got in games was just incredible. When maybe he got inside his marker or was outside his marker now, and people would have been happy happy enough to tap it over the bar. Kevin wasn't interested in that. He always wanted to go for the juggler. He always wanted to create the extra man and lay off the ball, as I said, to the guy in better position. And um, we practiced an awful lot of that in training. We had it in backs and forwards. You know, you weren't left off the tee, left off the field, and maybe you scored three goals in a game of backs and forwards. You know, Grant to throw the points, but you had to get three goals. And that was six backs against six forwards, uh, two midfielders, and guys hitting the ball out from the opposite 70-yard line, you know. So it was very, very tough, and you come up against very, very tough opponents. And uh, Sean O'Gorman, Dennis Walsh, you know, Jim Cashman, um, these guys were, Shani McCarthy, fantastic players, like, you know. So you earned your crust, and you always felt coming off on a Wednesday night, we train on a Monday night, and we train on a Wednesday night of our learned fine week. That you always start coming off on Wednesday night. Look, you you were ready, you were prepared, you were you you your your work done. You had put in an, an incredible effort, and like some of the backs and forwards games that we had in Cork were, would always stand in my memory. To be honest with you, like you know, you got nothing easy, and there was always kind of it was always a challenge there. Like beat your Cunningham, he was he was probably one of the best goalkeepers out there. Beat your Cunningham with a goal, and like there was nearly. Jumping up and down, you know, uh, if you could beat him with a goal in, in in backs and forwards and stuff, you know, because um, that's that's what that's what we were brought up on. That's the style of hurling that was there. Cutting back then, it's probably different now, but that's what we applied. And you know, Ken O'Brien was 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 the coach. Eighty six, Johnny Clifford, and there was so much into ground hurling, so much striking off the air, keeping the ball out of the hand. But more importantly, getting the ball into the inside line as quickly as quickly as possible well, from yeah. the back from goalkeeper. You know, it was incredible, incredible. 
We, myself and Brian Carroll do the show here, um, looking back on the matches, and I'm struck by the ground hurling. And while you understand that it's a bit risky and you can give the ball away, we were saying that maybe from the half-hour line up, ground hurling should still be in the game because that, that quick ball, you know, cre- created a lot of goal-scoring yeah. opportunities. Look, I, 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 there was a goal scored in 1987 above in Torles, John Fenton from the middle of the park. And uh, I was lucky enough to be that far out there and uh, just flick the ball off into his path. And I think there was one bounce off the side. And he hit it yeah. on the sweet spot. He hit it on the sweet spot and buried it into the back of the net. And the story goes, got him afterwards, there was guys um, coming out after the match, giving out to Dennis Conroy, the late chairman, because... Um, He'd given them very bad tickets and they couldn't see John Fenton's goal and he threw back a comment to him. Even Tommy Quaid and Go didn't see it. It wasn't <laughs> even that bad, you know? And was he going for a goal from there, do you think, or was he just trying to get it in there? Was it was that far out? Well, well but, but John was incredible striking ability, right? I mean, like, John would let the ball do the work, right? I mean, there's no man still can run faster than hitting the ball off a hurley, right? You know, so why, why, why take so much out of yourself when you can let it go like that? And uh, John was fantastic on that. You, you can see striking from Freeze and all that as well, which is just incredible. But look, I mean, <laughs> I always kind of say, and, I, and, and I'd be accused of being old school here, right? You know, and I hear that when people say, oh, if you pull on the ground, you're giving the ball back to the opposition. But if you pull on the ground in the half hour time and uh, you're catching the corner, back or full back out by, by getting the ball into a full forward much quicker than he can run these men I think you have a massive massive advantage there you know and um, yeah. and even from half back as well you know I've seen Jim Cashman Tom Cashman Darren McCartan these guys putting the ball on the ground and you're half forward that's the quick ball that you want I mean it's the same in football get the ball inside as quickly as you can right and the slowness of it going across the field and all that right I mean that's that's a back stream the quick yeah. ball was to catch the opposition out right you know and like I've always hit here from a car perspective, right, you know. Like, we prided ourselves in what we did from a ground hurdling point of view, you know, striking off the air, you know, having to put the ball into the hand, left and right, the amount of goals scored off the ground, and kind of, over the years, we changed. And we probably changed the way that the whole, the country has changed, and maybe gone a bit short and stuff like that as well. And we beat the opposition because we were so good at what we did with the ball on the ground. And... Uh, Will we ever see that day again? Probably not, but it's one thing that I'd love to see, even for forwards, even for goal scoring, ball breaking around the square, yeah. no need to pick it. Left and right, ball is, I mean, perhaps because all the ball is so light now, so why why would you go pick it? You can actually pull left and right, and like some of the greatest goals have been scored and been scored off the go, have been scored off the ground. And uh, it's something, a skill that I'd love to see come back into the game of hurling, I must say. And, like for the youngsters, you know, we, we're very much into, into drills and into cones and stuff like that as well. And, to me, there's probably not enough of that being done, you know, on the race level as well. You know, the lines, you have you four in the line, the ball coming up and you pull in at the way it's coming and you pull on the, the opposite way on the way back down with your left hand. You know, you keep the ball moving in the direction that's going rather than stopping it. That's the way I was brought up for hurling and uh, it didn't do me any or any of the cock guys that I played with any any, any any bad over that period of time. No, we'll start a campaign, Tomas, to get bring back ground hur- bring back ground hurling in some capacity. Come here, listen, you, you Ger, Ger Canning described you as no hopers going into the game and you were no hopers going into the Munster final and it was the famous Babs Keating donkeys don't win derbies. And like, I mean, right. a, 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 a classic really but like, I mean, is this, was this a, a case of a great Cork team kind of on the way out and this Cork team kind of trying to rebuild something? Well, look, I suppose 
the, the, the 80s was an incredible period because like from 80 and uh, 80 onwards, like you I mean, there was an All-Ireland final in 82, there was an All-Ireland final in 83, which are two losses to Kilkenny. We got to an All-Ireland final in 84. I'd say we probably would have been the first team in history to lose three in a row. So we won in 84. Uh, we lost the All-Ireland final in 80, our All-Ireland semi-final in 86 uh, to Galway. We won in 80, or 85, sorry, and we won in 86. Um, the the famine is over. That won the famous one against Tipperary in 87 in Killarney, which is yeah. an incredible time. But 1988 and 1988 and 89 were very, very bad time for Cork Hurling. Um, we, we, we faded badly in league campaigns. We faded badly in, in championship campaigns as well, you know. And um, Why was like, that? Even for the stuff. Well... I tell you, look, you had a lot of the older guys, you know, the Tom Cashmans, Johnny Crowley's, Jimmy Barry Murphy, you know, the core of that team that I mentioned over that five, six year period that were involved in all that kind of all Ireland final, semi final stage, most of the finals, um, all kind of went kind of at, together. And um, it was probably just a, a changing of the guard and uh, a, a, a new a new build to be done on the team. And, um, you know, I mean, I can remember myself. Um, 1989, I was dropped from the car panel in 1989. I was told I had enough done for car curling, you know, and um, they were, they wanted a change, which you have to respect. And um, was I disappointed? Of course, I was disappointed. So I went away. I trained as hard and I captained my club to win the county championship in 1989. And I got the honour of captain in Cork in 1990. So that was a massive honour for me uh, from a club perspective, from a family perspective. And back then, your club um, picked the captain and um, yeah. I mean I followed an unbelievable tradition with, that was in my club and followed in the footsteps of, of, of like legendary ring Jack Lynch Martin Darty these guys it was just incredible well that's some turnaround then so what manager told you that you were kind of done in 1989 because you come back obviously win man of the match and captain them to an All-Ireland uh, final in 1990 that like I mean that's some turnaround I mean, look I mean that, that's, 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 look, that's, that's what happens right you know sometimes you get a kick up the arse and um, maybe I deserved it at the time and you know sometimes fellas go through a bit of comfort zone and stuff like that as well and um, no, I mean I wasn't going well. There's no doubt about that. But um, the, the big, big incentive to me was to go back and play with your club and prove everybody wrong. And uh, nice. I kept my club team to win the county championships, and we hadn't won since '76. So, um, and there was a new, a new campaign came then in, in, in 1990. And um, uh, Arsh Deacon O'Brien, Ken O'Brien. I mean, he was an incredible guy. He was involved with him in 1984. He obviously he brought back a couple of guys. He had fierce belief that guys that had produced it in the past could produce it again, that he could get something more out of us. And um, with the first, we always remember the first day we arrived at training and uh, people don't believe us when I say to him, we arrived the first day of training and uh, the cannon loved his cars. Um, he loved the fancy uh, alloy wheels and, um, you know, and um, he, he arrived at training and Rode into the old parky Cueve and we are waiting outside to go in and um, the car registration was 90C27. <laughs> 90 for the year. It was C for Cork and Cork to that day had 26 titles and he showed it. What's that? Very good. Look at my registration. This was, this was a new car. He says, this will be 27 Ireland's this year. And that, that's, that is gospel truth and that was January of 1990 because we would there was no pre-Christmas training or anything like that look we went in and we did two days a week we didn't have gyms or training was around <laughs> the underground uh, around the tunnel of Parky Parky Cueve and mostly on the pitch right you know so um, but he set the standard then he said he, he had belief in the team he had believed that there was a good enough ability there but 
we came out of a, a league final in Northern Park on a bank holiday Monday, below in um, and uh, we got one point from play, Jeez. and we were slaughtered in the press on the Monday. We were we all we were destroyed. They'll never give us a red jersey again, and you know so. And uh, but he stuck with you. He stuck with us. He's still at first belief. I mean, of six of those forwards, only one fella got a pint that day in the league final from play, and the hailstones that came down and the rain that came down and the cold was was frightening. And um, but we 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 knuckled down and we went into training, and yeah, we came to the monster final in 1990, and Tipperary had won in 1890 Ireland, and nobody gave Cork a chance. Nobody gave Cork a chance going to Torres but the team itself, you know. I've been in the dressing room that day, you know. I mean, I was injured for the Munster final and um, the, the, the atmosphere in the dressing room, you knew that team wasn't going to be beaten. You knew going out there, I mean, geez, they'd have taken all the walls and Torres down because there was they were written off so much. There was so much hurt being personalised, kind of um, fellas weren't good enough, shouldn't be playing and um, it was an incredible day in Torres that day and Mac, uh, Mac Foley getting 2-7 from play, you know, was was just an incredible uh, scoring, and um, that lifted everything. And then, obviously, going to an All Ireland final against Galway, Galway were hot favourites as well. You know, we travelled up on the Saturday, and everybody around on Saturday night was Galway, and it was all Galway this and Galway that, and we just kept kept nice and quiet to us for ourselves. We know our, we we believe in our own ability, and like when you have the players like Tony O'Sullivan, Teddy McCarthy, Jim Cashman. Sure, cutting them on goal, you know, uh, Sean O'Gorman back there, all these guys. When you had, when you have those types of uh, that type of quality in your team, and John Fitzgibbon as well, obviously, um, you knew you had a chance. You know, you knew you had a chance. And um, like even though at halftime, five points down, it didn't look too good. And I mean, if you tried to paint the picture of the cock dressing room, it wasn't pretty at halftime. A lot, yeah. of, lot, of, lot of harsh work. Said, you know, Canon O'Brien just lost lost the plot completely. <laughs> I'd imagine he did. He said only he was only playing, or you were only playing with ten players. He didn't mention who the five were that were that weren't playing. But what player this well, way? Yeah. Go on. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. You're 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 right there. He mentioned. Look, he said there was. He, he mentioned. He said there was only there was only three players worth their salt. Anybody, uh, everybody else might as well go home, talk off, and <laughs> off you go because you're not worth going out for the second half, right? And. Uh, well, the character that he was, Kevin Hennessy, right? You know, I mean, um, when he said there's only three players worth your salt, Kevin put up his hand and he says, Cannon, can you tell me who the other two were? <laughs> now, Kevin was having a stink. Kevin was having a stink for himself that day as well, but he bought a bit of a bit of a bit of lightheartedness to, to the moment. And um, yeah, we went. Oh, we were a totally different team in the second half. Had a bit of luck on the day. Sixty-five. Probably should have went to Galway. Ball that came off at Joe Cunningham's. Uh, yep. Face went out for sixty-five. Should have been. I should have been given a sixty-five. That if that went over the bar, we mightn't have come back from it. But I suppose sport is all about a bit of luck as well. And we did have the luck on the day, to be honest with you. But that was a tremendous Galway team, and uh, we got the breaks on the day. But we got the breaks. But we had guys that could actually score goals, and uh, they scored them brilliantly that day. That was the thing. Come here, just to finish up, what was it like having a priest um, as manager? Would you have what would happen if you're cursing? Would you have to say sorry, father, or anything like that um, in the dressing room or whenever you'd be in training or whatever? Well, we maybe have to tell him once or twice to keep it down as well, <laughs> keep it low as well, you know. <laughs> I mean, he was a tough man. Yeah, he was a brilliant man, but he was a player's man. He just, yeah, I meant this man knew nothing else but, but hurling and. Uh, he was a great friend to us all afterwards and we went on holidays together and he was absolutely fantastic. And he knew he knew 
that guys to pick on. He knew the guys in the dressing room at halftime in that 1990 All He knew the guys to pick on. He knew the guys that he he knew there was more in these guys. He needed to get it out of them, and and that's what he did. And that was that was that was his strength, you know. And look, I I mentioned to you there, and and I finished on this right away. Look, there were occasions when we go to train and he throw out the 10, 12, 15 balls out in the field, and you'd have to have to hammer them up and down the field and chase after each other and hook and stuff like that and you aren't allowed to actually put the ball up in your, into your hand and like one occasion he, he just didn't like what was going on and so call us all in put the 12 balls into his little rucksack on the side of his shoulder and off he went he says I'm out of here this is absolute crap he says you won't <laughs> see me again and off he went out the tunnel you could hear the roar of the car gone up the up towards the marina and uh, we were all inside the parking leave not a ball nothing Right, and this is in preparation for championship. What are we going to do now? And fellas were drinking water. And it's here about twenty minutes later. You could hear the roar again. Next thing you walked in, I'll give you one more, one more last chance, you know. And uh, but sure, you didn't have to ask for any more. The next twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes, we just beat the lard out of each other. There was blood spilt and everything like that. And so he, that's, that was the strength of the man. He was a fantastic character, great friend to us all. And uh, sadly, missed in Corkland, to be honest with you. He was just a pure gent. Very good, uh, Tomas. Thanks very much for taking the call. I appreciate it. Yep. Okay, cut up. Appreciate that. Thanks for that. Cheers. Thank you. All right. And again, yeah. takes on can very, very often and take on a life of its own. What's tactics? I mean, you've got to make decisions and you've got to decide what you're going to do. And at the end of the day, you hand it over to the players and the players play, you know. The game was fast, was furious, was, it had everything really, you know, and you're, you're, you don't have too much influence on what's happening. What happened last year, it goes out the window or the year before or whenever it was. Tipperary, don't go away. The air, the air is the air. And the yeah. game takes on, can very, very often and take on a life of its own. So Cork 5.15, Galway 2.21. Yep, you heard that right. Cork 5.15, Galway 2.21 was the final score in this one, Brian. Absolutely incredible game. I would say two-thirds of it, Galway dominated and Cork got, got the goals. Father Michael O'Brien, the Cork manager, was interviewed in the dressing room afterwards and he said, we we're playing with 10 men up until halftime. He didn't want to name the five fellas <laughs> that, were, that were not playing. But I would agree with that. Like, I mean... Galway really took over that first half and looked the real class team. They did, and they were they were probably led initially by Joe Cooney in particular. He gave an absolute exhibition of hurling in that first half. You know, he got one six, I think it was one five from player or that, and he just was unbelievable. And he, he never gave Jim Cashman a sniff of it. And right from the get go, I know Cork scored the, the first goal straight away, but he just sniped two or three points, you know, to settle down Galway and. You know, got the goal. It was hard work getting the goal. You know, he he, he was you know initially kind of locked down and, and got it eventually, but he just was was absolutely exceptional. And I think Galway, you know, in hindsight, obviously rude those misses that they had in the first half. They had some very very harmless wides, some poor shot decisions and shooting over the shoulder, and then just some very poor wides as well so you know that to me is where they lost lost the game because they were in such control um, their full back line Sean Tracy as I said earlier was having a right good battle with with Kevin Hennessy but the, the other two cornerbacks were, were definitely um, on top and driving out with ball Tony Keady started in a whirlwind and, and got a 
oh, just an unbelievable point. You know, yeah. it's one of those real standout moments where you know he catches the puck out, solos up the field, dodges the tackle, and and, and you know drives it over the bar. That's just an iconic point, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And yeah, like and I've said it earlier, you have to understand how exceptional that performance was because Mark Foley, as I said, had scored two seven from play in the Munster final and was the man coming into this. You know, he was the in form man, and and. You know, it it wasn't until that that second half and really the switch of Tomas Mulcahy to centre forward that you know cha- you know turned the tide for Cork. Yeah, I would say the switch of Tomas Mulcahy, but equally the switch of Foley out to the wing, who caused a lot of problems out there. Like it was just the whole switch in general, you know, and Teddy McCarthy to wing forward because it was needed. You're right because uh, uh, Keedy was destroying Foley, but like just for me looking on it, like you're at nothing trying to take on Tony Keedy you know, physically or in the air. You know what I mean? You have to put someone like Tomas Mulcahy on him who might buzz around the place and, and annoy Tony Keating. Yeah, that, that's exactly what he did because, you know, even the couple of high balls went straight down on top of them. You know, Keedy still caught them and, and yeah. came out with them and he was very unfortunate one stage where he, he hand-passed his trace to Tony O'Sullivan and you could see Tony Keedy you know, putting his hands on his head going, oh no, what did I just do? And it was a simple tap-over point for, for Tony O'Sullivan. So, you know, Keedy though, yeah, you, you don't, you know, going back to Cyril Farrell's once feeding nuts to a monkey, like you know, it was just exactly what he wanted. But you know, as as I said, Mulcahy's performance in that second half was a, a, again, uh, to me, it, it was just it was it was brilliant, and it it turned the tide for Cork because he gave Keedy something else to think about, and you know, he broke inside a couple of times, and you know, could have even scored more. Yeah, no, he definitely could have. Like I mean, Cork were quick enough to change Dennis Walsh off no lane. How on earth? You after mentioned Joe Cooney's first half performance. How was Jim Cashman still on him up until half time? And left him on him for the second half. I know that they gave him a, probably a, a, you know, a, a right going over a half time to up his performance. And you know he did do much better in the second half. But it was more that I think Galway as a unit faded out, and and Joe Cooney didn't get in as much ball. It wasn't that Jim Cashman cleared everything that, yeah, that no, gave him away. He didn't. But Cooney did go out of it though. In fairness, like I mean, cause yeah. Like Nocton stayed in it, and Jer Cunningham was, you know, was in it, or Anthony Cunningham was in it as well, even though he's he couldn't shoot. But Nocton was still in it. I think Cooney Cooney just went out of the game. I wouldn't necessarily blame because Galway Galway in the first fifteen minutes of the second half were still the better team, or first ten minutes. There were, and the the thing about that is though, like he had scored one six in a half so like from play uh, you know well, most of from play so he obviously was just on fire and sometimes you know yourself it's very hard to maintain that for 70 minutes all out so maybe a switch there was needed you know put him in full put him corner do something different you know and try and work him into the into the game if it wasn't working even bring him to midfield because you know he was too important a player for to allow him to fade out, and he missed the f- crucial free. Uh, you know, at, at a time when Cork were starting to really come back into the game, you know he was after winning it himself, I think, and it was, it was fairly central, and uh, it, it was a miss that you know he, he, Galway really needed at the time. Yeah, the free taken wasn't great in general. Um, do you know, like I mean, from from either side, like I mean, Jim Cashman missed a few sixty fives. Uh, Joe Cooney missed you know he Joe Cooney had a lot of wides on the day as well didn't he like I mean for such a high scoring game there was a lot of wides in it too there was yeah and like look I kind of said it earlier I think Galway shot themselves in the foot and I think Anthony Cunningham you're dead right he, he was very direct and he played a couple of lovely balls in but it, it was very obvious he was completely right sided he got a point eventually but 
uh, you know, you weren't even sure it was going to go over the bar. He no. had a couple of very, very poor, um, poor missed chances, you know, and the two corner forwards, you know, Hopper McGrath and Anna Ryan, they weren't in the game enough. I know Anna got got a couple of points and, and Hopper got a, a good score in the second half, but, you know, they, they really weren't getting enough out of them. And Noah Lane, four points, you know, at that stage of his career, that was a that was a serious, um, serious performance. Probably didn't have as much luck in the second half, but you know he did try to set up um, a couple of goal scoring opportunities, and and one of them obviously was was the big moment that fell to to um, Martin Nocton. Yeah, and like I mean, Cher Cunningham had such a, an influence on this game because it was that save, and that was the turning point of the game. But that if that goes in, that's Galloway probably too far ahead at that stage but it was his puck outs as well in the second half my god he had some puck of vol I know there was a bit of a wind and I, I was looking at it in the first half thinking you know his puck outs weren't that long for the reputation he had but there was more of a wind in it than you would have known but geez, he was dropping him in the second half past the Galway half back line which were obviously the line you needed to avoid it was unbelievable and like if when the camera shot to his hurl to see how small his boss was as well yeah. you know it was it was phenomenal um, some epic jersey he had as well that striped goalie jersey um, no number one on the back of it either it was it was uh, iconic in fairness he was an iconic figure in the goal anyway he was just he was exceptional um, but yeah it, it really struck me as well how far those pokeouts were going so you know I know I said it a couple of weeks ago on the show as well you know people going on about the ball travelling too far and hurling at the moment, you know, the certain players were just able to do it no matter what. Um, they definitely were. Like, I mean, Cork going for goals, five goals in total. And, you know, it seemed to me that that was a tactic that they were using to beat Galway because it was Kevin Hennessy in the second half. He had two, um, he had two chances that he could have popped over the bar. And the first one was a lovely reverse ball back to, to Foley, who stuck it in the net. And the second one was even better. He held off and held off and could have taken a point. And he waited until the Galloway corner back. Um, his name is escaping me here for a I second. Kenny, I think it was. Was it? Kenny came rushing out um, over over to him, or Dermot Fahey, the number two, and then passed it in at the very last second to John Fitzgibbon, who scored as well. So it's obvious they were going for goals here. Yeah, that, in that second half, it was quite obvious. Or even you know the first couple of attacks they had. They laid siege to that Galway goal, and and they were trying to, you know, score an early goal. And look, it it worked in the long run. Um, John Fitzgibbon, large parts of that game, he hadn't touched the ball, no. and then, you know, he took a chance. And again, it shows that you need a bit of luck. Like Mark Foley had a chance of putting the ball over the bar, hit the ball in the back foot, completely mishit it. You know, Sean Tracy and and Kevin Hennessy go for it, and John Fitzgibbon ghosts him behind, and just lets fly first time and you know you would have been you know saying what is he doing pulling it there but it was just inch perfect and you know you had to feel for the keeper he just he dived and it just barely um, got it past it was a his dribbler yeah. yeah but it was perfect it just shows you know if you get it on target right into the corner now this literally was into the corner but uh, just got in and then obviously that second goal you're talking about um, that Kevin Hennessy set up where he you know offloaded if it's given a hint of steps there maybe six or seven um, uh, but uh, you know he rode the tackle and, and leathered it into the back of the net so look you said it earlier goals win games Yeah and Kevin Hennessy's first goal was just a, phen a phenomenal score it was ground hurling goal you couldn't even see the ball hitting the net 
And phenomenal as well, considering that, you know, Kevin switched hands and he hit this on his backhand then as well. So right. to get to get such power on that, um, off 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 the backstroke, um, brilliant, brilliant goal and gave the goalkeeper no chance for that one. It was it was a fantastic you said lovely whip ball across it um, could have been John Fitzgibbon I think could have, could have pulled that across as well and you know brilliant finish yeah like I mean I still don't Galway will be scratching their heads wondering how did we not win this game how did we not win it they were they were the better team they definitely were yeah but they, they just I suppose Cork got the goals when they mattered most you know and you know even Galway went you know he said in the second half they were still five, six points up and looked like they were cruising. But Cork got the go- you know the goals at the right time and pulled them back into the game and you know just kept ticking away with their points then as well. So scores definitely came easier for for Cork in that second half where Galway were forcing their scores, weren't getting enough of them. And apart from that almost breakaway goal that Brendan Linsky finished, you know they didn't really make any inroads in their forwards. Like if you look at the individual battles in in that second half. You know, Cork were dominant in in that in 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 almost every position in the field, really. Yeah, no, they were. And in fairness to that uh, Linsky goal, Tomas Mulcahy got a very important. We talked about Ollie Baker's response to um, to Tipperary goal last um, or on on Monday, but Mulcahy had a very important response to that Linsky goal. He did, yeah. And, and look, it was one of those situations where he was in the right place at the right time, it just fell down to him lovely. But look, look, look we, we've already said this, look how far that puck out went, the pressure is putting under Galway, breaking ball, uh, he's all on his own, just swivelled and just a, a simple tap over pint. But as you said, it, it's, it's exactly what they needed at, at the right time, you know. Yeah, I have it down here by notes for that Fitzgibbon goal, the kind of dribbler one. Do you remember Jer- Jerry Fitzgerald took on McInerney? McInerney, the speed demon, wasn't able to catch him down the wing. Um, and then it went to Mark Foley who put who kind of you do you reckon he went for a point and and mishit it? Oh, definitely went for a point, yeah, and mishit it, yeah. But Jeff's Cheryl's speed there going down the wing was incredible. Incredible, yeah. And like as you said, Linsky was unbelievable fast. He was a real kind of um, you could see why he was such a crowd favourite. You know, he you know he was driving out with everything and sidesteps and hand passes and. But he was completely one-sided as well. He was all right-sided. Like at a one stage, he came out with a ball in the second half, threw it up, and actually missed it. Just pure fresh air shot as well. So right. it was it was hilarious watching him. He ditched the, the famous white boots from from uh, that he got in America for that uh, series in 1990. Right, Finnerty probably played better than him on the day. He was outstanding. Like I mean, it really was a phenomenal half backline for Galway. Unbelievable. And what struck me was how good Finnerty's sidelines were. Yeah, you know, like they were unbelievable. They were fifty, sixty yards every time down the field. He was, he was phenomenal at them, and he was teaked off as well. And you know, he showed how how brave he was in that first half when he he dived on a, a breaking ball. He did. Brendan O'Sullivan caught him with his knee, you know, on the head, and you know he okay, he went down. He was hurt, but you know he did shake shake it off eventually. But you know that that half back line. I suppose it's the it's the launch pad for most great teams, isn't it? And Colin yeah. certainly had that there for for that you know that golden period that they had in the late eighties. Yeah, not long after Finnerty got that knee to the head, and that was accidental, I suppose. But yeah. like I mean, he blocked he blocked somebody down, and immediately from the block down, whipped it along the ground really fast. And I think Joe Cooney got a point um, from it. Like I mean, you know, and that was just after taking the knee to the head. Yeah, there was no hint of a. Uh, concussions there or uh, head injury protocols or anything like that it was get on with it um, there was no blood showing so you're 100% so I know look I think I think that 
probably summed up what Pete Flaherty was all about. You know, everyone um, have huge kind of respect and admiration for the for the type of hurler that he was, but he, he massive bravery as well. And I can just picture him, you know, just kind of setting his jaw and kind of just driving into things. So, you know, it kind of in a way remind you of of Tommy Walsh almost how how tigerish and you know full blooded he was in his approach. It's a funny one really with Cork in that that great team kind of finished up in 86 and the, this team wasn't seen, you know, as as the great All-Ireland contenders every year. No, and, and like, as I said, I think that was the emergence of Tipperary though. You know, you have to remember how long it had taken Tipperary to win that Munster final in, in, in 1987 and what it meant to them and, and how hard they got to beat Cork in that. You know, it went to a replay and that famous replay in Killarney and it went to extra time before they actually beat them. So, you know, that was the monkey off the back and got obviously Babs and all his team up up and up and running and still it took Tipperary three years to win their All Ireland, you know. Yeah. So and you know it's it's all kind of small things that 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 work for you in their favour because in eighty nine obviously Tony Keady was suspended and missed that um, All Ireland final and and you know obviously we're at the end of their kind of golden era of that that team and you know Antrim beat them in the All Ireland semi final and it was almost a, a gimme All Ireland for for Tipperary but um, you know it, it's it, it's amazing you know no, no matter how good a team you are you still need breaks and you need a bit of luck. Yeah, like, I mean, it's a funny one. Tipperary, even though they were brilliant at that time, they didn't dominate any All-Irelands. Like, I mean, Cork won three during the during the 80s. Well, if you two during the 80s and then the uh, 1991. Galway won two. Kenny won a couple. Like, they, they were shared around between a few different teams that are in around that period. Yeah, and I suppose, like, Galway had won 1980, you know, their first one in... in 80 years or whatever it was and awfully won two eighty one and 85 so you know you're you're dead right there it was shared around a good bit but um you know Limerick were probably unlucky they, they got you know close in 1980 but didn't actually get there and um do you know who as you probably know a brilliant team back then if we chatter on the line obviously Leash were were, were brilliant they weren't all earning contenders but they they really rattled Leinster a couple of times and just couldn't get over the line. And you know you yeah. had to feel sorry for them because you know they they had that famous win the centenary final and um, you know they were so close to making that breakthrough at the time. So you know Hurling was in a in a great shape at the time, but I suppose it was still Kilkenny, Cork, Tipperary still were to the fore and off lot. It probably wasn't until the till the mid nineties that we saw the emergence of of you know the lesser teams as, as real forces. Yeah. Did you think it was a bit weird the referee literally blew it up bang on 70 minutes? Yeah, like, like I actually it did strike me. It's same for the first half as well, the 35 minutes. So it just you know, we were talking there a couple of weeks ago about the introduction of, of the you know, maybe a clock of some sort to, to try and help with that and you know, you'd you'd realise that it's just been blown up. It was just a done thing. Um you know, it, it struck me that there was no injury time or additional time to be added. And, you know, we see it nowadays where there's six and seven minutes and that's the norm, like, you know. So, yeah. um, it, it's crazy. Uh, so, so just it is thing, different it was, times. It was just a thing back then to blow it up bang on 35 minutes. Yeah, it seemed to be. Because, any like, you look back at all those games, it just seemed to be blown up and that was it. Like, you know, unless there was... Um, exceptional stoppages it was just yeah you pledge your, your 35 minutes and that was it I don't know what the actual rule was but that seemed to be the you know the kind of the way it was done and 
I suppose there, maybe a little bit more naivety. There wasn't as much cynicism. You didn't get away with as much of, um, you know, playing or, or trying to waste time. Um, so it was a different thing. Speaking of the referee, you could definitely see that Galway would have felt aggrieved and he got a lot of booze in that first half. I thought he was very, very soft on Cork in that first half. Well, yeah, well, he disallowed a goal by Joe Cooney. I'm not sure there was advantage at that stage, especially back... Well, Zayn Ryan got it, Joe Cooney. Yeah, Cooney passed it. Joe Cooney Cooney did that time was incredible. It was Dennis Walsh rose the ball up to himself and Joe Cooney caught the ball that Dennis Walsh had risen up to himself and then then went to pass it across and he was barely even fouled and that ball was pulled back for a free. Yeah, and like... We were raving, and I know I was raving on Twitter as well about Tony Kelly doing it um, against Clay or against Wexford in the league uh, down in Wexford Park there a couple of months ago, where he, he robbed um, I think it was Sean Murphy and put the ball over the bar. So that's exactly what he did. It was it was a brilliant piece of skill, uh, maybe a hint of a throw, but you're right. There was very little foul there. No, like you know, to me, he blew the whistle way too quick. I know the Cork player stopped it. There was no way Anne Ryan was not, you know, going to score that goal. And um, he was in way too much space not to, to be actually caught. Yeah. Um, so it was, a, it was a big moment. But there was a couple I thought were, were soft frees for Cork in that first half. And the, the Galway crowd were definitely getting onto the referee. Galway never beat Cork in an all-earn final because they hadn't beaten them up to that point. And we know they obviously lost one in 2005 as well, wasn't it? So, like, I mean, Galway or Cork definitely have something over Galway. Definitely. And they never feared them. Again, that's that probably that tradition thing. Um, they just seem to have way, way too much for them cuteness or whatever. But um, Galway have, 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 as you said, the statistics don't lie. They they've never been able to get over 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 that, and I think that was probably their best chance in two thousand and five. Looking back on it, Cork were at the peak of their powers. Galway had, you know, they'd overcome Kilkenny yeah. um, in a thriller, but you know they weren't anywhere near the level of that Cork team. So I think if ever they were going to do it, nineteen ninety was their opportunity. Yeah, no, it definitely was. Right, we'll leave it there, Brian, and we'll come back with performance of the weekend. You can't touch this. A few weeks later, they played Phil Kenny below Nolan Park. The same year. And oh, they were being hockey. But the camera went in and said, oh, there was a fellow warming up. Jesus, you should see him. <laughs> yeah, the fuck. He was massive. Legs, ass, belt. But I burst out laughing watching him. There he was, the epitome of what I said. I told you, homeboy. You can't touch this. Performance of the weekend, Brian. And the first one is Joe Cooney. Um, obviously this is performance of the weekend if it was just at half time this was one of the most brilliant performances you'd see uh, he went out of it in the second half you know for a leader and for someone who you know should have kept performing not at the level maybe even that he was at but he went completely out of it which is a weird it leaves a bit of uh, you know you scratching your head a little bit you know that Martin Nocton and these lads can continue on to play well but he completely went out of it even though Cashman didn't look like he was marking him any tighter so I don't really understand it a few bad wides from him I suppose in the second half as well but the first half performance first I think it was what did he get a goal and three points so he got the first three points anyways like in a phenomenal first half display yeah as you said a first half a performance for the ages and look we don't if you didn't know the result of that game you would have thought the Galway were going to walk away with this or you were watching it live at the time 
and it was yeah. just phenomenal but look I kind of said it earlier I think Galway should have moved him they should have got him out of centre forward he was too important a player to, to leave him there when he wasn't getting onto as much ball in that second half and even as I said I think they could have brought him to midfield you know they made a couple of switches around the middle and there was chances there to be got um, Tom Monaghan did you like the square micro by the way the big red square micro the big square red oh yeah yeah that's, yeah, that's... <laughs> I used to have a blue one of them uh, I remember getting it for my seventh birthday. Uh, didn't last that long now, to be fair. But um, he looked—he looked like some sort of an astronaut or something in it. <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate that one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I—I I think that the likes of him could have could have come to midfield even and, and try and win ball and and bring it forward because, um, you know, he he did fade in that second half. But as I said, I think the vast majority of that call were forward, maybe with the exception of, of Martin Oxen had you know, were in under serious pressure and, and there wasn't as many opportunities to, to maybe to get those point scoring opportunities for Cooney. He missed a, the couple of chances that did come his way. So I suppose yeah. he'd be disappointed with that. But I think his performance was just so good in the first half. It was very hard to maintain that across the board. Sometimes it can be. Martin Nocton, like you said, uh, he definitely maintained his. He was a flyer. And Anthony Cunningham was a flyer as well. Like did did electrifying pace and so did McInerney on the wing. Those three players in particular, when they kind of took off, there was a real kind of excitement about the pace they were travelling at. Definitely. And and the two corner forwards were lightning as well. Um, probably not at their level and different type of running because they're running out, out yeah, the way. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they were, you know, real lightning type players as well. But like, we have to go back over that, that real talk about Martin Nocton. You know, he, you know, Gerald Cunningham dived in front of it and, and, and hit you know, hit his head, goes out for what should have been a 65. And the umpire was adamant, you know, came running out straight away, waved his arms, yeah. wide ball. They went in pleading with him, no wide ball. You know, God, that was such a massive moment. Do you know, like, to, and, and Cunningham had to take treatment for maybe a good minute, you know, on the head. He was, you know, he was after taking a serious blow to the head. He took it in the nose. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. So, like, it's just ha- having to, go down and take that treatment like what was the umpire thinking or what was even the referee or even the linesman to say I know hold on a second here now like you know <laughs> he didn't just fall down for no reason yeah I wasn't sure about Nocton I thought he played it back into his hand and it's almost like he gave Cunningham time to come out and to to close him down do you know what I mean by the time he shot then he was kind of on top of Cunningham where I didn't think there was that there was no need to have played it back into his own hand. Did you, did you notice that? Yeah, I, I didn't mind as much about that. For me, the, the finish, that finish has to go to ground. Do you know, right. I, you know, I know you're bearing down in goal and Tomas McCarty was probably something similar the other end of the field and roofed it up into the net. But you watch the difference in the way the keepers approached the ball. Like Cunningham came out and threw himself at it. And, uh, you know, whereas goalkeeper, you know, kind of fell back into the net with, with, with the shot. So, yeah. To me, Martin Nocton should have been hitting the ground with that. And I think if he'd have just bounced it into the near post, I think there was no way that was going to be stopped. Yeah, because a lot of goalkeepers kind of jump out, don't they? There's the, yeah. That's the same in every sport, even in soccer, Gaelic football. The goalkeepers kind of fly out with a bit of abandon where don't, you can just skip it down under them if if, you, if you're if you kind of, I don't know, composed enough. Yeah, compo- exactly. I used to I used to love doing this to James Dempsey. He was the goalie for Offaly's back hurling goal from this year. And, brilliant at that coming out and smothering a shot but a couple of times I just used to get the ball and roll it under his feet and I could dribble in past the line over him and I'd go off laughing at him so I used to drive him mad because he was an unbelievable shot stopper so if you, if you put it high at all he was he was stopping him so I used to love doing that to him 
who uh, Noel Lane, obviously, he was at 35. I was going through, the, they went through the Cork and the Galway teams, and both teams were pretty young at the time. Noel Lane stood out being 35. He had two ground hurling points, or he had one ground hurling point, which he was going for a goal, and then he had another goal chance, and he was given out to himself. You know, like, I mean, he would have yeah. fancied to score two goals probably in that first half. He would have. And you see, the first one, he went to, to like, he went to pull on and then realised he had so much time and literally had all the time in the world to rise, to stop dead and raise the ball. And he went for a goal and it just, you know, just crept over the, over the crossbar. And that was the one he came out shaking his head. But the other one was a, you know, a beautiful whipped ground shot and just, you know, rose too much. But uh, I don't think Jerk Honeyham was going to see much of that if it had it kept it under. Um, you know, no, no Lane was old school. You know, he was, he was still there. He was, um, a serious forward, you know, four points in play in that other final, yeah. You know, and there were all great points as well, in fairness to him. At 35, yeah. Tomas Mulcahy got, got the official man of the match, he was the car captain, and like he did change the game, you know, he scored one, two. Like I mentioned, that point was a really important one, and the goal got them going. Um, he had a real, I suppose, it was a real captain's part then, obviously, coming out on Tony Keady. He did, and just when he came out, you know, he got a point straight away in that second half. Then he won a free, you know, so he, he pulled them back into it. And Galway, you know, had, had scored a couple of points up the end of the field, got the goal then, and, you know, caused real consternation, but hit a lot of ball as well and kept Keady, apart from, you know, catching book outs um, on a couple of occasions, kept Keady really, really quiet in that second half. And to me, like... That was an unbelievable performance that second half. He was a real captain, you know, stood up when they needed him. And, you know, it, it, to me, it's up there definitely with that performance of the weekend. Sean O'Gorman, cornerback for Cork, I thought was very good. He cleared a load of ball, didn't he? And it, it, there was no doubt about what this man was going to do with the ball when he did win it. It was going, <laughs> it was going down the field. It was going, and he'd some puck of a ball as well. He cleared the ball there in the second half, and he launched it ninety hundred yards. And fairness to him, uh, striking off his left side, he was a left-hander, obviously a kitog, and launched it. But it, it struck me in the first half actually with Cork, where a couple of times he came off the shoulder of the half back, you know, or was was there presenting himself for um, an out ball, and then was able to strike it long down the field. So. You know, he, he would have been killing corner forwards at that time because he was, you know, not just standing marking his man, he was he was willing to get up and, you know, present that present himself for that ball. So yeah, he definitely, you know, was was, was excellent in that corner. Apparently Jim Carney was in the dressing room afterwards, obviously, and he was like we mentioned at the start of the show, and he interviewed Sean O'Gorman and apparently Sean O'Gorman had been very unlucky in the years leading up. He he couldn't make the team. And this was kind of a, a year I wouldn't say it was probably his breakthrough year, but he wasn't a young player, if you know what I mean. So like if it, if, to perform like that, you know, after not being a regular on the team, you know, it just goes to show like what a brilliant performance that was from him. Yeah. And, and like, it, it's great to hear stories like that, isn't it? Like that's a lot of the unknown stuff that, you know, the general public, you know, don't know about. And I never knew about that before either. And, you know, it, it is great to hear that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, we can all kind of, empathise with that I'm sure we've all kind of felt at times that things didn't run away and you love to get that kind of last laugh moment almost so you know you know, you have to say it, it, it's a brilliant moment for him personally and a brilliant performance as you said and, and top it off winning that All-Ireland so uh, 1990 is one he'll always remember anyway Kevin Hennessy is an unusual one isn't he? he he did some brilliant things in the in the game uh, like I mean scored um, 
what the, I'm not sure what he scored in total, but it was a goal in five. It was one four, maybe one five. One, yeah. But he made two of the goals brilliantly. We've mentioned that already. A few bad wides from him at a, at important times, like easy wides. Yeah, easy wides. And his point from play in the first half was definitely a goal scoring opportunity. You know, he was 21 yards out and he just tapped it over. And what I mean by that, not to contradict myself in the John Latty one, like he was bearing down in goal and had loads of space in front of him and either he was going to be able to shoot or he was going to be able to offload and just tapped it over the bar, you know. So, look, he was massive. You know, he was a huge man. Um, very, very difficult to mark. Uh, really strong in the air. But again, because he switched hands, it made it a little bit more difficult for him and obviously favoured his right side, um, you know, hugely. Um, but a strange free-taker um, choice from Cork. You know, Tony O'Sullivan probably was was a more natural free-taker and had hit them in previous years. So, But at the same time, you know, he still, he still was doing a decent enough job of that. Yeah. Okay. Tony Keady, another nomination. Finnerty, another nomination. I suppose the winner have to give Kilkenny uh, a, a nomination there as well because I thought he was exceptional for the for the hour as well. Yeah. Right. Okay. No. No problem sticking in a corner back there. Choose two cornerbacks. Uh, performance of the weekend nominate nominations here. I think Tomas Mulcahy has to get it. Um, really, Brian, for the for the second half performance, the captain's part, uh, to take on a player of the stature of Tony Keady. It was funny him mentioning there on the call about the bit of trash talking that was going on uh, with Tony Keady and, and himself. It was very, very obvious when the camera flashed on him and Keady was giving it to Mulcahy and Mulcahy didn't like so, something that was said to him. <laughs> no, but it sounds like now we're just uh, picking our um, performance of the weekend with whoever you're able to get on the show for, for the phone calls. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I can rest assured it's not. No, Mulcahy, I, I agree with you in this one. Um, you know, I grew up watching this final. I, I had the video, the best of 90. So I knew this game almost off by heart. And when you were asking me which one to pick, I was like, pick this one. This is this is phenomenal. Like, And but I'd forgotten how much of an influence Tomas Mulcahy had. I, I knew he was very good that day, but well, I, you know, watch it back at this a, game. That's after a first 30 minutes, Brian, where the man wasn't in the game at all. Like, I mean, uh, uh, we, we did a 98 final here uh, today with the, in the football. We're talking about Jaff Allen's performance. And I was kind of laughing. Like, when I played well, I knew I was playing. I, all, I played well in the first... Like, I've, uh, the point I'm trying to make is I've never played badly and not been in a game and then been able to turn it completely around on its head in the second half. Any good game I remember playing, I started well. Do you know there's a yeah it's an incredible ability mentally, I suppose, to be captain, go in at halftime like Tomas probably did, sit in there saying, Jesus, I'm not on it, I'm not I'm not in the game at all, which he wasn't, and then pull out a performance like that in the second half. Yeah, and again, look, you know, being being a forward and, and I'm sure you know this when you get your first score, though, it gives you that lease of life. You know, now it was a, a serious task he was being given in that second half. Go out, you know, your captain, go out centre forward, Mark Tony Keady, who's in an imperious form there. You know, he was moved out to the half forward line yeah. um, for, you know, a couple of minutes in, in, in the, towards the end of that first half and yeah, had won a couple Finnerty. of balls. Was, was he put out on Finnerty, I think, in the I first half? I think it was, yeah. And he'd moved a couple of balls. At least he was winning them. You know, he, he was moving them in. Um, but he obviously hadn't hadn't really had much of an effect in that first half. Um, but you know, I, I I still go back to that psychology of when you get your first score, it's like a monkey off your back, and you just you make runs that you probably weren't making earlier. You know, you might have been feeling a little leaden footed or whatever, and it just 
it's just it's hard to describe that feeling when you get that score and just you can just let yourself go and we were we kind of talked about that with James O'Connor the other day and I think it's it's a similar enough type of performance in, in the second half you know yeah no exactly it is comparable to James they are right in that last one we did right that's it Tomas Mulcahy performance of the weekend so congratulations to him and we'll be back on Monday and we'll have a look at another match we'll talk to you then good luck And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm heartbroken. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.